0: Okay, here we go. Here we go. Let's. Uh, so, ascension is 50, forty days, and East uh, Pentecost is fifty days. So, really, ascension was last Thursday. We translated the feast and celebrated today. Just, um, it's good to kind of think about. It. It's a big day in the, big day in the uh, in the church here. So, let's pray, and then we'll go. Lord Jesus Christ, who gloriously ascended into heaven after your resurrection, grant us help from your grace. That as you promise to dwell with us always on earth in heart and mind, we will never cease to dwell in heaven with you, where the Father and the Holy Spirit live and reign, one God, now and forever. Amen. All right. Uh, put some money in the basket for CareNet. We'll do that one more time. Lindsay asked if we'd do that, so we will. We'll go to CareNet, and then uh, you know we'll kind of go from there. We'll go on this. We'll do. We'll be here next week, and then uh, let's see. I think Pastor Bukes is going to take over for the summertime, but I better double check that with him just to be sure. <laughs> so we'll uh, make sure. So all right, any questions about anything? Well, I'm sorry to go ahead. <laughs> yeah, here's the thing, man. As soon as you say that, I'm going to be a bum. Number one. <laughs> so well, let me begin with an apology. Then you know, I'm going to I'm going to go I'm going to go back to I mean. I'm so sorry I divided the group last week over major things like food sharing and vegetable mixing. You can't believe the number of people who took sides over this over the past week. So, from Facebook to email. So, I'm going to go back to more calm topics like your atheist brother-in-law, okay? Because that's, that's going to be a lot easier. I mean, who, who knew? Who knew, you know? <clears throat> all right, so uh, let's do a little Nicodemus here. Uh, this is John 3. Now, when I was growing up, you know, it was all about... Defending the Bible and getting your lines right and figuring things out and arguing people. Of course, the presupposition was if you could just give people enough reasons, then they would just have to believe in the baby Jesus. Well, the thing is, is one is Lutherans never really believed that. We kind of borrowed that from the evangelicals, the Baptists. Those were never really our lines. In fact, even how the Missouri Senate came through the, you know, the whole thing about whether Scripture is inspired and errant and all that. We borrowed somebody else's lines just to just to refresh yourselves. You know, this is the Lutheran line. The Lutheran line isn't, hey, there's a Bible and it's true, so you should believe it. That's the Muslim line, just in case you're curious. The Lutheran line is, the Word, the eternal Word, big W, became flesh, incarnate in Jesus Christ, and he spoke words, empowered by the Holy Spirit, that were life-changing and faith-giving. That were healing and blessing. And those words continue to be spoken today. And we learn about Christ in the stories recorded in the scriptures. And the Holy Spirit was very careful to get the stories written down that He wanted written down. But as the end of John says, if I wrote down all the stories, I'd have never stopped writing, right? So that's the Lutheran way. We start with the flesh and blood of Jesus, with the eternal Logos incarnate, born of Mary died on the cross, rose on the altar in the Eucharist. And so it makes every sense just to tell stories to people. You're never going to argue anybody into believing anything for a couple of reasons. One is, human argument doesn't deliver divine faith. We say that all the time in the catechism. I believe that I cannot believe. But the Holy Ghost has called me by the gospel and might with his gift, sanctified, and kept me in the true faith. I believe I can't believe. So I believe human arguments can't, you can't argue anybody into doing this. This is what, it's a miracle that anybody comes to church. It's a miracle that anybody comes to faith. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. So in some way, it's, it's important to be intellectually respectable. It's important to be able to reason clearly. You know, it's important to be able to think things through. It's important to be able to give explanations. It's important to be historically honest. It's in, all those things are important. But they are not by themselves why people come to church. They are necessary, but not sufficient. It's the work of the Holy Spirit that creates faith. And often he does it in the strangest ways. You know, he does it in the strangest ways. And sermons are preached not just by words, but with deeds. And so, uh, you know, we've run through all kinds of people from antagonistic to unknowing. And now today we're with Nicodemus, who's the smart boy. He's like Paul. These guys are smart guys. Pharisees were usually small businessmen. They were very successful. They led good lives. You know the community depended upon them. There were even rules that Pharisees could only tithe a third every year because if they tithe too much, they would ruin their own businesses. Imagine if we had to have a, a rule in the Lutheran Church Missouri Center. Oh, we don't want. You, you got to stop here. You got to not more than a third of your income because otherwise you'll ruin your business and. People will be unemployed and won't be able to eat. I mean, it was the, they were remarkable people, and so Nicodemus. I don't know how to read him. I've read him in different ways over the years. I've read him as the smart guy. I've read him as the seeker, the quester. I've read him as the you know. I've 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 read him as the guy who just couldn't get to sleep at night. There's a, there's a range of way, and maybe it's all those things bundled together. But it's a beautiful story, and Jesus' response to him is very much in a way of, and we did this last time, of loving him the way he needs to be loved. He's a smart boy. So Jesus is going to answer him with smart things. In fact, one of the reasons you help a smart person is to show them that they're not that smart, right? That being smart isn't the end of the game. Of course, the other side isn't true. We're just being right is the end of the game or just being persuasive is the end of the game. The end of the game is to tell a story about Jesus and let the Holy Spirit do his work while you go relax, okay? So just a quick run through this. John 3, 1, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night, said to him, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher from God. Nobody can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. So he's got this initial observation that Jesus is doing wonderful, loving things. And in John's Gospel, signs are an earthly thing that point to a heavenly reality. So he's at least seen this much, right? He's seen the story. He's heard the stories. He's seen the action. So what Jesus is doing is quite remarkable, Jesus answered him truly, truly, which is just the way of saying, hey, really pay attention because I'm going to give you the important stuff up front, right? You know, I mean, this is Jesus giving the military speech where he you know, tells them, you know, what he's going to tell you, then he tells you, then he tells you what he told you. That's what Jesus does here, right? So this is, you know, truly I tell you, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God, which is, see, this is the key the kingdom of God. What's the kingdom of God? You know, the kingdom of God. If you want to see the kingdom of God, if you want to see divine rule, does it look like cutting your enemies' heads off? It really doesn't look like that. Right? It's going to look like something very different here in a second. So, um, you know, occasionally I'll get somebody who will come in and give me a big lecture about how it's all one bowl of soup and, you know, you drop all, all religions into it. And it's, well, you know, you need to, you know, you need to have a more dis- discerning palate. Truly I say to you, unless one is born new he can't see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said, how can I do that? Verse 5. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, unless you're born of water and the spirit, you can't enter the kingdom of God. Now this is important because you're trying to get to the kingdom of God, and here's the door. Okay, good. That which is born of flesh is flesh, that which is born of spirit is spirit. Don't marvel that I said to you, you've got to be born again. Right? And then this remarkable thing where the smart guy he this, thinks he knows stuff, and what he finds out he doesn't know anything. You think you know stuff? You think you know how to save yourself? You think you know about goodness? You think you know about love? You think you know about grace in the kingdom of God? Stay tuned. Because the glory of God is the Christ hung on the cross. Right? This is remarkable stuff in John's gospel. Jesus says, Oh, well, you know, I gotta be lifted up, you know, like that serpent in the wilderness you know about. I gotta lie in the tomb three days like Jonah in the whale. This is not what they were anticipating. Okay, so. The wind blows where it wills. You hear the sound. You don't know where it comes. You don't know where it goes. That's the way it is when you're born in the Spirit. Nicodemus is like, how? She says to him, uh, you're, "Come on, you're the smart guy. You're a teacher of Israel. You're a Pharisee. You study. It's late at night. You've come to find out. You don't know anything." This is just kind of a little, you know, that nothing that makes a smart guy crazier than telling him he doesn't know anything, right? Hey, blah, blah, blah you, ah, you know. Truly, truly, I say, we speak what we know. We bear witness to what you have told you. These are earthly things that you don't believe. How can you believe heavenly things? And then special for today. No one has ascended into heaven. So an Ascension Day reference in advance of Ascension. No one has ascended into heaven except he who has come down, descended from heaven. The Son of Man. And then as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness... So the Son of Man must be lifted up. Whoever believes in him will have eternal life. So, all right, let's have a run at this. I did. Uh, I printed you a, a long, long outline, but uh, here we go. Um, one, you love people the way they need to be loved, right? And um, I want I want to disabuse you of the notion that you can't be a good witness. I also want to disabuse you of the notion that you have to have 25 points in your head ready to lay down without taking a breath, you know? The best witness is to be loving. The best witness is to be kind. The best witness is to point to Jesus. The best witness is to go to the Eucharist. The best witness is to have your kids baptized. The best witness is to be merciful. Right? The early church, see how they loved one another. Let's kill the Christians. You can kill them if you want. Why would you, why would you kill them, though? They're really strange people. They feed the poor. They care for bodies. They don't abort their children. They, they, um, they pay their taxes, and they don't, they don't cause insurrection. I mean, you can kill him if you want, but why would you kill him? That was the report that came back. So Jesus just has this normal way of engaging people, that he comes to people, he's kind to them, he sits with them, he listens to them, occasionally asks a question, and then he'll tell a good long story, right? Now, the thing about Nicodemus, how he's different from some of the other people that we've talked to is, we've had other people who have just been sort of broken and lost, you know, the guy in the temple. We've had people who are just you know, believe their whole world has been shattered, Mary Magdalene. But there are some people, we have people who have been running away from Jesus, right? The people we did in the very first weeks, you know, people who just have no time for Jesus. There are some people who run so hard at Jesus that they miss him completely. And you can usually spot it by, you can smell anger and fear in people. Like they want Jesus and they just can't get it. So often you go into churches and people are angry and they're afraid. Those are both, you know... Just remember the verse, perfect love casts out fear, right? Angry and afraid cannot be the... So, you know, inquisitive, perfect, perfect. Questing, that's great. you got questions, couldn't be happier. Utterly engaged, that's our guy. But angry and afraid, hey, that's not it. That's that's the mark of the Antichrist. That's not the mark of the Christ. I flipped the page here. So, you know all kinds of people who are just like Nicodemus. You know, Kirby and I had sort of, at Princeton, you know, we kind of had this, there was this kind of phrase, neat Christians. These are people who, you know, thought, you know, they knew you went to church every Sunday, but they were pretty sure they were going to heaven and you were going to hell. You might know people like this. You know, in Wheaton, I mean, kind of Lutherans, Catholics, Orthodox are all lumped together as in people are a little bit kind of like... You know, we're just just you know just short of being moon worshippers. You know, I mean, I regularly bump into people who think, you know, that we need to be uh, you know a good dose of salvation. Man, well, you know, I'm just not sure. Kind of, kind of, just relax a second. So um, occasionally, you know, you get this scrupulosity. This is Nicodemus. He's going hard. He wants the answer. He doesn't know the answer. He hasn't figured it out. He's trying to do everything he can. He's run into a bunch of dead ends. What am I going to do? Right? Now, it's important as you think about this to remember that heresy always, it's not that heresy just gets too small, people don't believe anything. Sometimes heresy goes when it gets too big. So when you make a whole lot of rules, like Paul says in Galatians 1 if you say it's Jesus plus anything else, that's of the devil, right? And that's the way the Pharisees worked. They just kept stacking up the rules, you know, rule after rule after rule, you know, a couple hundred rules just when you have dinner. And if you break any of them, you're not of the kingdom, you're a sinner, for goodness sakes. All right. So, um, you know, nevertheless, the great thing to say about Nicodemus is he's not like the Pharisee we met earlier who just said, I'm glad I'm not like other people. I'm glad I'm not like those other people. I'm pretty smart. They're pretty stupid. I'm pretty holy. They're pretty broken. I'm glad I'm here in the temple and I tithe and I'm glad that Jesus loves me. And Jesus says, that is upside down. And then he says, see the guy in the back, that's the guy. So, you know, you need to be open to the guy in the back, right? You you did it to these, you did it to me. So, um, number four. Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night. And, um, you know, it's very interesting that he comes by night. And we know that it's also the Passover. So Jerusalem, you know, had 15 or 20,000 people during the Passover. It might have had 150,000 people. This is why the Romans were always so nervous. Because, you know, everybody was in town. And they were hoping for the Messiah. And anybody who looked like a Messiah was dangerous. This is why it was very easy to execute Jesus. It was, it, was, it was time to execute people. It was time to make examples of people. It was time to keep the crowds tamped down. So this is a, a first Passover since Jesus has sort of been declared. And here he is. Um, he comes at night, which is, is the time often for study. But conveniently, it's often a time not to be seen. Contrary to our age, you know, everything wasn't videotaped, and people could skulk around, and it was dark, and you could cover up. And um, what we have to respect in Nicodemus is that he loves the light, right? And this is what you want to look for. Sometimes um, you have people who are always so interested in correcting you, now, um, always so interested in straightening out every last kink. I mean, I'm interested in that too. Your kinks end up hurting you in some way but slowly and surely over time, right? This is why, you know, part of the thing about the third commandment, about coming on the Sabbath day, it's not like, it's not that Jesus, kind of in my own experience, people can't go more than about a week without being completely kinked up. I mean, most people have so bollocks things up by Friday or Saturday, they really need to come back for a tune-up, right? So, I mean, about seven days, about as long as you can go without just completely... You know, just having it completely and 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 Jesus knows this about us, so he's always sort of pulling people in, um, and he's very respectful of people who want to get it right, okay Verse five, okay, the text verse uh, so number five, verse two, Rabbi, we know, and that is such a dangerous thing. It's such a dangerous thing to know what you know, right. Because what happens is, I mean, whether you know it or not, what you do with what you know, you make a grid through which you sieve the world, right? Like you screen things out. And so, you know, Nicodemus has all these ideas about what can and can't happen when he comes to Jesus. This can happen, that can't happen. We do this with each other too. We get expectations for for our, our parents. We get expectations for our kids especially, right? Well, the really hard thing is when your kids go to college, they come back four years later, you haven't seen them much and they're a completely different person. Right? Isn't that so? And then they're wondering why you treat them like they're still 16. And, and it's a huge parental mistake. Because your grid is still, you know, my 16-year-old who I packed off to college. And they come back and, um, you know, that's not who they are anymore. And they treat you in the same way. Or our brothers and sisters, if you have wide gaps between your brothers and sisters, um, you, you know, you, you have a relationship that your brother's always a 10-year-old. You know, he's 35, he doesn't really appreciate that that much, right? <laughs> I mean, every Christmas you treat, treat him like he's 10 years old. I mean, see, so, so we do this, and this is what Nicodemus does to Jesus. He's like, well, I, I saw you do some cool things, and I heard you say some wonderful stuff, and I think that, you know, you could do this if you didn't come from God, but, uh, you know, I just, you know, you're just seem to be going in the wrong, wrong direction. Now, the problem with that, of course, is that... Um, and this is true for pastoral care. This is true for when you talk to your wife or your husband. This is true for your kids. You know, the penalty for not listening is to remain the way you are. It was one of the most interesting things in life. The people come and they're miserable and, and you know, things aren't quite working out. And they come to get some help and you say, you know, and this is not just true for pastors. This is true for everybody. You sort of say, this is true for your lawyer who told you to get a will and, you still haven't done it. So this is true for your dentist who told you to use plaques. You know, I mean, this is all the things. Think of all the things where people who are experts say to you and say, you know, what you should really do is get your oil changed at 3,000 miles. You know, and you're thinking to yourself, 3,000, 30,000, it's a zero, right? And then you go to Rich Red and he's like, you're the kind of person I can't help, right? What would help? A new engine would help, you know. Uh, you know, see, the, the thing is, this, this, is how, this is how we are. And in some ways, you know, this is how Nicodemus is. The important thing is, is you, you have to love him. And you can't, you know, you know, the thing is, is you should just be very wary of increasing people's pain. When people are in great pain, I mean, so Nicodemus is, he's jumbled in some sense. It's good to be jumbled in a ha- happy sense as a seeker. I mean, I hope when you come on Sunday, I'm, I'm always looking for what I didn't know yesterday. When I come to the altar, I've had especially, you know, the last, you know, I don't know, everybody runs this way, but the last 10, 12 weeks, I've been so happy to be at the altar. Things have been very smooth. The guys working at the altar have been fantastic. For whatever reason, attendance is way up. You know, it's like 10% or 12% over last year. I, mean, You know, why? i get got no idea why. We didn't, well, I mean, we tinkered a few things, but really, I mean, so... You know, but it's been so, it's been so kind of wonderful. And I'm always kind of looking for, you know, what's the thing, that, what's the next thing? You know, what's the thing we didn't know? You know, how is it, you know, I mean, Chuck singing in Polish. What's that? It's coming. Do you know this? We're going to sing in Polish here in a couple of weeks. Who does that? I, you know, it's to say, so it'll be fine. But you, you just sort of hum along and it'll be great. But there's always, there's always more to, the choir was great, was it not? I mean, it was really quite fantastic again this morning. So we're grateful for that. Well, um. You know, the penalty for not listening is to remain the, remain the way you are. But yet, for a guy like Nicodemus to remain the way he is, is really going to be a painful experience. He's actually not going to know, you know, what's cooking. So, um, I flipped the page. And, um, you know, the bottom line is, our, we, get, we get credit for it bats in the church. You know, like, I don't know, I don't pay attention that much to baseball. I think you used to have 300 at-bats or 400 at-bats to win the batting title, right? If you don't have enough at-bats, you can't win in Major League Baseball. You can't win the batting title. You've got to have enough at-bats. It's like that in the church. What we get credit for is a good at-bat. What we get credit for is being at the liturgy, taking the Eucharist, saying the creed, being kind to people, tithing, praying, <clears throat> fasting in season. You know, you just sort of live that life through... And that eventually it just comes to you. It's difficult sometimes. It's not difficult. This is the great reason for disciplines. You do the things that need to be done. And you can see this is why Jesus is so merciful to Nicodemus. Nicodemus is consumed with the disciplines. In fact, in some way, Jesus has to back him off a little bit. In some ways, he's too smart. He has too many answers, right? And so what Jesus does to him in a very kind way is he meets him intellectually. The guy's a bright boy, and he's very successful, He's like much, many of you. I mean, if you lived in Jesus' day, most of you would be Pharisees. And I don't mean that in a disparaging way. That would just be your class of people. You would be Pharisees. You have small businesses or you work in larger businesses where you're very successful. You're sort of models of honor in the community. You'd be Pharisees if you were with Jesus. And yet, um, Jesus. so Jesus knows he has to, he has to engage you at, at, the, at the level of your intellect. He knows he has to engage you at the level of your heart. Jesus doesn't treat him like he's stupid. He treats him like he's really smart, actually. He doesn't treat him like he doesn't know anything. He treats him like he's very successful. And the way Jesus does that is to show him, it's like the scales fall from his eyes. Jesus, Jesus speaks to him in a way where he's like, I, that can't possibly be true, okay? That you, could, that you could be born again, that cannot possibly be true. This is just small catechism stuff. How can water do such a great thing? That can't possibly be true. If you live in Wheaton... Except when you're in this building, most people don't think that's what's happening to you at your baptism. I I told you the story where I ruined Parents' Day at Wheaton College. I was given a guest lecture, and it happened to be on baptism of all things, you know, in the Billy Graham Center. Uh, You know, I'm given a a thing on on infant baptism, and it happened to be Parents' Day, and all these kids are visiting prospective students and all their parents I know it's horrible, isn't it? And so I, you know, I give them the the same stuff that you would always. And I'm like, and you know what it's all, and it just kind of falls out of me. And these people are looking at me like, why did we apply here? You know, because I, and I'm just I have to remind them that I'm a guest. But I remember right as the, right at the end, this very nice young woman shoots her hand up, and she said, "So what you're saying to me is that in baptism something really happens?" And I'm like. Yes, it does. You get saved. Her eyes went like shutters on a Three Stooges movie. Those roller things. And the bell went off, and I'm sure everybody went and pulled their applications because that wasn't, you know, that wasn't uh, the... And that's exactly what he does to Nicodemus. In In the ancient world, you baptized yourself to become a good Jew. You said your prayers, you made your vows, and you washed yourself up. This is completely different. Jesus does the washing to you, passive verb. He does something to you. This is a complete paradigm shift for Nicodemus, even though it kind of looks the same. There's some words and there's some water, and we call it washing, but it's completely different, okay? So, um, this is at, I'm kind of at point six, where this is an exercise in um, knowing what we don't know. You see that Jesus does this over and over again. I mean, Nicodemus comes, he thinks he knows what wind means, and then he doesn't have a clue what wind means. If you read the next chapter, there's this great woman at the well, and Jesus comes to her, and she's completely perplexed by him. And she thinks she, 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 thinks she knows what water means, and then Jesus says, I'm the living water. And then, in, in the, then in, Jesus does it again in John 6, where he says, I'm the living bread that comes down from heaven. Unless you eat the living bread that comes down from heaven, you have no life in you. And then people think they know what bread means, and then they have no idea what bread means. And these are very smart people. These are very engaged people. The people in your family, your kids, your grandkids, your spouse, your parents, the people in your, the people in your family, you, you, you have smart people in your family. They're earnest people. They're usually very kind people. I've met a ton of them over the years. If you go at them hammering tongs, treating them as if they're stupid... They just they have zero time for you. You only reinforce what they think the church is all about. But if you can learn your lines well enough, be calm and ask a question or two, like, you know, what are you going to do with your sins? How do you get, how, do you, how actually, It's a very important question, how do you really get rid of your sins? And do you, I mean, there was this genius, uh, Pastor Bukes and I found at the same time, Peter, um, David Brooks, who writes for the New York Times, he's a conservative politician, he's a Jew, I'm sorry, he's conservative politically He's a Jew, but I, I don't know how practicing Jew Jew he is. Um, he he wrote an article this week in the New York Times. I'm, I'll call it and run it as a margin comment uh, in a couple of weeks. About how the problem with with American society is that the notion of sin and grace have fallen out of our vocabulary. So nobody thinks things are really that bad. That's just what people do, and nobody thinks that think that anybody needs to anything needs to be atoned for that that can get run in the New York Times or by a guy who writes for the New York Times is a stunner, right? But it's remarkable. He's also written a book about the virtues, even as he confesses that he's not he doesn't know much about them. That's a stunner, too, because there's a whole section of the world, right, who spend all their time on the virtues, and yet this guy can write a book because he has access. It makes sense. But you can feel his fragility, his discomfort in talking about things that are largely outside his can. So I mean, wouldn't it be amazing if the church came back to us? Wouldn't it be amazing at this time when the, every people are so kind of anti the church? Wouldn't it be amazing if, if the church came back to us not on the uh, not not on the not on the levels at which it plays now, but what if it what if it came back to us just on the notion of I've got sins that I don't know what to do with them. I got things that I've done that I just can't. I did things that I didn't actually know was I didn't actually know that was wrong you know the, the abortion I have a friend who says you know this he, he counters the he counters the 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 whole thing about you know american as the chosen people and then superior you know whether we're an exceptional society and whether you know we're got he he said america should go to ashes alone on the abortion issue on the, just on that one issue alone and so interesting because now you know as as the science comes in I mean, you can photograph, you can, you can I mean, you can see not the whole thing about how early people can feel pain, because for a while, a few years ago, you know, there was this great, coming out of Princeton, the Australian guy, who was the great ethicist of what kind of life, and the whole argument about you could kill your kids for a certain number of days if they didn't quite meet your standards after they were born. You know, that was the, that was the big argument. But now, it's being reversed, actually, interestingly, by science. The kids can react in the womb, you know. They can actually take pictures of people in the womb. There's a whole bunch of science about how kids learn already in the womb, wh- how they're active, what they feel, right? We're going to have a huge mess to clean up because, you know, for 30 or 40 years, people just sort of said that was a nothing, right? So, I mean, this is... This is a, what if it all comes back to us? Here's the question. Is the church going to be ready for that to come back to us? Like, are we going to be able to be calm, listen to people, and be kind? Are we going to be able to do that? Question. Question. Um, well, it's not really a question as so much as a comment. And yeah, sure. <clears throat> something I work with a lot of work, high school kids. Yeah, right. High school, school so kids, something right. something that makes me happy is <clears throat> when I see this sort of, you know, puritanical-based, I can do everything, and then evangelical, like sort of like you're describing going down the tube a little bit, you know, with whatever. I see this giant influx and growth of Hispanic culture and the basis on more family and grace and... Um, I think that's for me, and, and uh, emphasis on religion, and I think that's actually a really powerful, positive thing happening in our country. It'll be. It, it needs to go down the tubes exactly in the way of Nicodemus. So you need to be careful with your evangelical friends. They're not bad people, no, no. but it's just. Uh, and of course, the thing is with the Hispanic cultures, there's still large. There's a large Catholic influence, right? So even people, it's just in the water if you're of Hispanic origin right it's just in the water and it's wonderful because it, it emphasizes now the thing is, is that needs to be picked back up before that just becomes family traits and then just becomes traits that your family chooses but i mean i hope the the point of all this is you you, you need to you need to be ready not to basically be angry and afraid when it comes to you when it comes to you i mean look what jesus does he does of course engage at a very high level He's a very bright guy. He, he, he actually redefines the congregation, the con- conversation. right? You need to be born again. This is a whole different way of thinking that Nicodemus hasn't come to. And Nicodemus is a bright, successful guy. But Jesus isn't angry. And the proof of it is that he doesn't alienate Nicodemus because Nicodemus is the guy who, one, speaks for Jesus as the voting to crucify him, and two, takes him down from the cross and buries him like a king. You know, one of the stories about the Easter, when they give you the, how much they bring in terms, of, in terms of, of, of perfume and spices, it's a royal burial. I mean, this guy takes what he's got and he spends it on Jesus for Easter. It's, it's just the most remarkable thing. So whatever happens with Jesus here, however, you know, Jesus is tough-minded, but he's not alienated. You don't have to check your mind at the door if you're a Christian. But you also don't have to be defensive, you don't have to be angry, you don't have to be afraid. Christianity has taken a beating more than the Roman classics, more than Islam. Christianity has been tested in every generation ever since the time of Jesus and beyond, and it's still held up. It's answered every major question that's ever come to it with actually great comfort, right? So you know what? You've got a long history of things to hold on to. Learn your lines, be calm, tell the story. That's what Jesus does. Yes. I have a question. Yes, please. So, um, when Richard and I were visiting my brother in New York City during spring break, <clears throat> we had this conversation with him, and he grew up in the church, he's baptized, I mean, he's the church and he's baptized, and he's sort of not practicing meditation Right. and um, we had a brief conversation about church and sin, and his... We were talking about various religions, and I sort of said, well, I think what sets Christianity apart is the forgiveness of sins. And then his response to me was, well, I don't really feel the need to be released from my sins. That's and right. And I was kind of stumped. I didn't really know how to respond in a way that wouldn't come <laughs> across as right. judgmental. But I didn't want to. So what do you do with someone who doesn't really, like they're saying, feel like their sins are that bad? or maybe even he would say, you know, if he wrongs someone, he would definitely advocate for, you know, apologizing and maybe reconciling with that person. Right. But how do you engage with that kind of thinking? Um, I'd go home and have a drink and a cigarette first. <laughs> Relax. Watch a little Oprah, you know. <laughs> So, okay, so good. The great thing about the conversation is you sort of were able to isolate. So that's a very good conversation because you actually isolated what's the real thing, right? Now, you're smart enough to figure this out because you've been around enough. Here's what people do with their sins. Usually what happens is they relativize them, and that's as easy as going on Facebook. Hey, everybody else is doing this. Let's say you two are married and you once had a fight. I know this is hypothetical. <laughs> <clears throat> and he said, you know, you should blah, blah, blah. And you said, everybody else does that. That's not really that helpful, is it? Don't answer. This is hypothetical. <laughs> so, um, you know, so what happens is people, we relativize our sins, right? We rel- so, and what happens then, if everybody else is doing it, it can't be that big a deal. You hear this in everything. Everybody does this, yeah. right? The Strutzel kids are saying this all the time. Hey, everybody's got a car or something like that, right? God bless you, my child. What's that? Yes, all the quarterbacks deflate their footballs. That is sour grapes, man. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> that that would be something to talk about offline. That's very interesting. Yeah, all the quarterbacks deflate their footballs. Everybody likes their equipment, right? At the right, how they like it, right? Yeah. You probably have a bigger. Well, never mind. You probably nascar is where i was going but never mind okay so um yeah so here's the thing one would ask then So your conversations in the future might look like this you know what's a sin really look like and can you ever really make up for it what you'll often find in people is it's interesting the notion of making restitution what's really interesting is people often demand restitution in a limitless way so i'll give you a horrible example um, the guy who was the engineer of the train that crashed in Philadelphia. Yeah. If you read in social media what people suggest should be done to that person, now what's very interesting is, is the information that's come out about him. I don't know one way or the other what happened, okay? But it's really interesting because he seems to have been sober. He seems to have been well-rested. He was seems to be a guy who was kind of a leader in terms of train safety. seems like something might have hit the, you know... You know, there's all sorts of new stuff. But if you read about what people say should happen to the guy, people are merciless, right, when you read about him. Now, see, you could never give enough. You could never, that guy could never, he could never do enough, right? So, so there's a couple of ways to go at it. One is, what's a real sin? And then, where would you be satisfied? The whole notion of... Um, we were talking about a doctor last night... Um, where a pregnant woman went into a doc- this is a true story, a pregnant woman went into a doctor that we know, and first visit she said, if my child isn't perfect, I'm suing you. <clears throat> okay? Now that's a very interesting comment. You can't discharge the patient because you've already engaged the patient, and you get sued for discharging the patient. Just kind of just, just kind of think that through, though. Okay, that's the other end of the spectrum. So people, what the kind of expectations people have, how they define sin, how they define restitution, Where does forgiveness lie? There's a huge conversation to have here. Eventually, you'll come to this single thing. This is the single place you want to get to, which is, I could never make this up to you. And I could never make it up to God. And part of that is because we've lost the whole notion of holiness, right? When we relativize it, when we say, I'm no worse than the strutzels. Like you say, I'm no worse than the yonkers. When you say, all my friends do this, right? You know, why did your mother say, you know, even if all your friends jump off a bridge, would you jump off a bridge? Why did she say that? She doesn't want you to relativize your behavior. Because bridge jumping is just not a good idea, okay? It doesn't matter where you are. Do you know Mrs. Bukes? Do you know Mrs. Bukes? I believe, I don't want to overstate, but I, is she here today? She's the sort, do you know that she bungee jumped off the like the highest bungee jumper thing in the whole world? <laughs> I once said, like, it's in New Zealand or Australia, right? Yeah, I'm like, who are you? You know, she seems so demure and sophisticated. She she's doesn't seem like a risk taker. And all of a sudden, he's like, oh, yeah. Because we said something like, it's the highest bridge in the world. She goes, actually, it's not a bridge. I'm like, actually, it's not a bridge. You had to build something higher than a bridge because you, you should meet Mrs. Buke. She's a nice person. But she has capacities, which all of us have not discovered yet. Um... People are surprising, right? So here's the thing. What's the sin? What's the sin, right? And just sort of, you sort of just play that out. Because what, in the dark of night, two things happen. People sleep soundly because they have no sense of sin, or they can't sleep at all because they know they can never make it up again. And the whole point is to flip them from the first to the second. And at the second point, now it's classic Lutheran stuff, which is, When when the law has had its effect, you can never make this up. The only answer is that somebody would make it up for you. And Jesus is saying, hey, man, I'll take care of that for you, right? And when you can do that, that's the thing that eliminates worry and fear and anger. Worry and fear and anger come because you have things that you feel like haven't been made up for, right? But your answer, for example, would be, well, I'm baptized and Jesus took care of that. That's what he's going to say to Nicodemus. New spirit, new life. You go to the Eucharist, I carry Jesus in my body. Everything is forgiven." But I would just say to you, you know, it's great that you're still speaking terms with your brother. Because 20 years ago, if somebody would have been saying to you, "This is what you do," you'd have like written him a manifesto and never talked to him again, right? It's just not that helpful, right? And you'll find this. This is not. This is. It's the same in every situation. It doesn't matter if it's parents, kids, brothers, sisters. If you break the relationship, there are. You may be the last person that anybody's going to have that discussion with. Um, My guess is that many of his friends in New York City don't have that discussion with him. Right. (laughs) Because it's just, because the world just, the world is so awful in so many ways. I was thinking this this morning, you know, the old man thing, Luther did it, Augustine did it, everybody does it when you get old, you're just like, I mean, the world is such a horrible place it must be coming to an end. It's just kind of an old man, you get worn out thing. But, but it happens. You're like, just is the world really this bad? It's not any worse than it ever was before. If it really, the clue will be, you'll know you're right when you say that only if you turn around and Jesus is standing there with a flaming sword. Then you'll know that you're right. But other, until then, you just keep pressing, okay? Friend. Well, there was a little bit of law at the beginning, but um, what happens is we normally make the mistake of too much law. Yeah. So, so the, the law bit is what do, you, what do you do with your sins, presumes their sins, yeah. objectively, and that something needs to be done about them that's beyond your capacity, right? And if you can get to those two, you know, and you can say of yourself, you can say, I just can't, I just can't make that up. Here's the thing, I mean, you're, you've had a long life already, okay? Here's the thing, if you think to yourself, I mean, just everybody do this, just for a second. Just think of one... I have a couple of sins that still haunt me. Think of one thing that you've done that you know that you couldn't make up for. Just think of... just. Can you think of one thing you know that you've done? You've betrayed somebody. You've said something about somebody. You've stolen something. You know, you sort of double-dealt somebody. Everybody has those things. If people are honest, everybody has that. You only really understand absolution when you have come to understand that you have done things you could not fix yourself. That's Nicodemus. If Nicodemus was satisfied that he had fixed it, he wouldn't be with Jesus in the dark. He's with Jesus in the dark because he knows he can't fix it. Right? That's the reason he's there. The world is filled with people and they're usually very smart, very successful people just like you. Right? They're usually just like you. Now what are you going to do? If you give them this, very smart, successful people will find a distraction, right? They will find a distraction. It'll be money, it'll be sports, it'll be the stock market, it'll be their job, it'll be their kids' sports, it'll be pick something, okay? They will find a distraction. It's, this is the whole thing about caring for people's souls, which is there's a very small, there's a very small sweet spot and you have to find it. And the remarkable thing about Jesus is you've seen him find it again and again and again and again across a wide range of people. He can do that. We can't. But we can try. Right? We can try. And you've seen what he does. He doesn't shame people. Right? He's not angry with people. He's not afraid. He doesn't always try to close the deal. He very rarely yells people down. It happens once or twice. I know people always like to quote it. It's so rare. Right? It's so rare. Predominantly, Jesus is so kind and so patient. And he offers up such such an interesting thing. I just I think part of it is, is there's such a there's been such a notion in evangelism over the past forty years to close the sale. You got to close the sale. If you were going to die tonight, you know, what in the hell's going to happen to you? You know, people are like, I got to go back to watching. I love Lucy. People don't, you know, they're just like, that is not where people are, right? But if you if you ask people what keeps them up at night. I mean, you can ask Nicodemus. It's the middle of the night. Why is he up? I mean, a great question for Nicodemus would be, what's keeping you up tonight? That's the question, right? And when you answer, if you answer as if you're not doing this, but I'm just coming back to you. If you answer as if you're piling on, it's, it's like a funeral. There doesn't need to be a lot of law. There's a body lying there. The guy is up at night. He can't sleep. He's coming to see this guy. And if anybody sees him seeing him, he's kind of done for, right? There's a lot of risk in this engagement. So there's something there. You can just observe the fact that there's something there instead of pounding people with the fact that something there. You hated this in your parents. You hated this when you did something wrong and your parents just never let it go. Did you hate that? You did hate that. I know you did, right? And if you do it to your kids, don't do it to your kids, right? Because once you've dealt with it, it's over, okay? I mean, we'll come back to this. I don't, you know... Um, just kind of think it through. If you, can just get to the, if you can just get to the point where you can stay calm, which apparently you did, congratulations. If you can get to the point where you can stay calm and try not to worry about it. I just want to give you just the last thing about worry. Worry in the scriptures is what you can't control. When Jesus talks about which of you can add, you know, um, a foot to your stature or a day to your life. I mean, basically what he's telling you about, you're thinking about things you can't control. What you can't control is how your brother, sister, mother, father, aunt, uncle, friend, enemy, how they engage with Jesus. That does not belong to you. It belongs to the Holy Spirit. However, what you can control is that you live in the image of Christ and make them yearn for what you've got. That's what you can control. And you've got it not from pride, but because it's a gift. Right? That's, that's the whole key. And if you do that, the church will flourish because people are alone and unloved. They're afraid and they're worried and they're angry. So if you go into a church where nobody talks to you and nobody loves you and everybody's angry and afraid, people can get that at the Starbucks. They don't need to come here for that. right? Why do people come here? They're alone. They're unloved. They're afraid. They're worried. They're angry. And it's great to be in a place where people aren't worried, angry, afraid where they go out of their way to include other people, where they know that they're squared up with Jesus so they know that they're loved. That's the church. And as long as you can have that, the church will flourish. And when the church loses its focus, for whatever reason, the church, a particular church will die. The church never dies. You know. All right, we've got to go. Love you. Next week. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name.